0: This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey, friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. If you were listening to this during the week of March 30th, 2020, you are likely at home or walking your neighborhood for some fresh air but you are not sitting in car line waiting to pick up your children or on your way to meet friends for dinner because most of us are under shelter-at-home orders from our local governments. As the coronavirus pandemic unfolds, I hope this half hour to 45 minutes spent listening to Grace Enough will help in preparing your heart for Easter. Today I chat with one of my local pastors, Daniel Messina. We discuss various aspects of Jesus' life and how it demonstrates his kingship. We also chat about the woman who anointed Jesus with oil and how she is juxtaposed with the Pharisees. As you listen to today's conversation, I pray you are filled with the hope of Jesus and surrendered to his kingship. Hey, Daniel, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me for the Grace Enough podcast today.
1: Sure, my pleasure. I'm glad to be joining you.
0: Yeah, as we get going, go ahead and introduce our listeners to you and your family and tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, again, my name is Daniel Messina, and uh, I uh, currently work at Crossroads Fellowship on staff. I'm the Millbrook campus pastor, and I work with the next gen department. I oversee everyone from birth all the way through after college, uh, <laughs> a few years after college. So, you know, have a lot of fun. That's right. And That's right. Um, so, I've been at Crossroads for this is actually, we're entering our ninth year, mm-hmm. and uh, wow. we're here and enjoyed it. We have three boys uh, Gabriel joshua and joel so ashley and i have been married for um we're entering this may will be 13 years and uh she works as a nurse at wake med she's a mobile transport unit nurse which is something i could not do just throw it out there. She does, she has a crazy job. She does some things that I would never dream of doing. A little bit about my overall background. So, I was born and raised in Brazil, like in the U.S., went to college. I got a degree in Christian studies with an emphasis in theology. And I also graduated with a minor in biblical Hebrew, which then later on led me to do a Master of Arts in Old Testament studies. And uh, currently, I'm enrolled in a PhD program at Southeastern in preaching. So, that's kind of my educational background a little bit. But again, I was born and raised in an island in South Brazil. So I have lots of fun, crazy stories. And, and just to finish that up, we're actually going next month to Brazil and we're looking forward to that. So
0: are you going with your whole family?
1: My whole family's coming.
0: Awesome. Now, do they all get to go with you very often?
1: No, usually when I go, I'll I'll go by myself. Sometimes I'll go and do ministry. So obviously it's all paid for by either the church or a ministry that pays for me to go because we just can't afford it. We've been saving it, you know, saving it up for a while.
0: Well, and as we're speaking about Brazil, I do love to hear about people's faith journey before we really dig into what we're talking about. And so share with us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus and your faith journey.
1: Absolutely. Actually, what's interesting, just for a quick background, my grandfather moved from Rio. Uh, Most people are familiar with Rio de Janeiro, which is one of the biggest cities in, in, in Brazil, famous Christ the Redeemer statue and all that. Moved from there to Florianopolis. When he moved there, he was in his 40s, and that's actually his 30s, and that's when he gave his life to Christ. Wow. The work of Southern Baptist American missionaries in Brazil. So he kind of, the whole family follows suit, and my dad at age eight gave his life to Christ and just got really involved in the church. He's been in the same church since he moved to Florianopolis in Brazil, and uh, I grew up in that church. It's a Baptist church, and so I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Brazil. <laughs> Which is funny, right? Because like most most people, like you know, you're either Catholic or you're Pentecostal. Which, but you know, there's a strong Baptist base in Brazil and Presbyterian as well. I also gave my life to Christ at age eight, but I didn't understand at that time what it was. I remember sitting uh, with my mom in in her bed, and she was sharing the gospel. I prayed a prayer. I remember that vividly, but I didn't understand fully what that meant. Mm -hmm. So at age thirteen, I had through went through a phase of rebellion. But age thirteen, I really realized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and and really, just repented of my sins, and from then on, uh, God just transformed me. So, so, from thirteen to sixteen, my aunt discipled me, and uh, she became kind of like my youth pastor. And she discipled me and thirteen others. And out of those thirteen, only two are now not fully involved in church, but the majority of them are involved in church. Wow. So, age sixteen. I received my call to, to ministry. I didn't know what that meant, but I remember my pastor at the time preaching on Isaiah chapter 6, and he w- was preaching on, you know, the whole experience of Isaiah before the glory of God, and God asking Isaiah, hey, who sh- whom shall I send? You know, who will go um, for me? And uh, he said, you know, in the Hebrew now that I know, is it's which I love that the way that that sounds is, here I am, send me. Mm. And I prayed that. I didn't know him. I was overwhelmed. I mean, it was a really powerful event. But so at that intersection, at age 16, was when I began playing the saxophone. I got involved in worship in the church. I began leading my first small group at the church. I met this missionary girl in Brazil. We started dating. That relationship then led into me coming to the U.S. And uh, and at that time, and then I'll end with this, at that time, I was in business school in Brazil. I was doing business administration, okay. and that's the route that I thought through and so i transferred to when i got this big scholarship to come here to the u.s i almost got i got almost a full ride to come uh, to washington baptist university in arkadelphia arkansas of all places
0: wow and um
1: <laughs> yeah i know right talk about cultural shock I, um and it was funny i didn't speak english until i was 18 oh so, wow and if you so my my theory is if you want to learn english go to arkansas we talk real funny You have to really like listen to them
0: Listen, I grew up in eastern uh, Kentucky, so I know all about that business. (laughs) Talk about like an axe, a
1: thick axe. I mean, Arkansas probably is thicker than Kentucky, and especially where we were, very rural area and stuff. But it was fun. Uh, And uh, long story short, I realized at age 18, being at Ouachita Baptist University, what God had done. And uh, he took me from Brazil to here and confirmed my call to ministry and that I really needed to just turn my studies to – to go into full-time ministry. So.
0: And so you switched immediately then from business into Christian studies. That's right. Wow, super cool.
1: I had to take about five ESL courses, so English as a second language. Yeah. So I did that, and I learned really fast. It was crazy. I didn't know I could do it. It was totally the grace of God there. And uh, learned English, and then immediately after that semester, I took, started taking my core classes. Just full on went, went right at it and graduated in four years by the grace of God.
0: That's so cool. Well, and I've never asked you this, but so do your boys, are they fluent in Spanish?
1: Well, so Brazil is Portuguese. So Portuguese. yeah, so, okay, so you know, not it's, know That's that. a, a common question. Yeah, yeah, so it's a common, you know, uh, assumption that people make it. You know, it's just basically Brazil is the only country in South America where the national language is Portuguese. All right. All the other languages are Spanish for all the other countries. But so they are not – so it's kind of funny. You know, like here in the States, they don't want to speak a whole lot of Portuguese with mm-hmm. us. But uh, when they are around my parents and other folks, they begin. They understand everything. They just don't want to speak it. So gotcha. they're pretty fluent.
0: So we are right in the middle of a three-part series on Easter, and so I am going to h- go ahead and just jump right in with you because I talked about this with you before I talked to anyone else, and you even recommended um, Doctor Quarles, which I talked to last week. So thank you for that recommendation. Tell me why did God have to kill his own son, Jesus?
1: Uh he didn't have to. <laughs> but you know, I, I understand the uh the you know the premise behind that question. Obviously, why did God kill his son and not accomplish salvation through other means? Uh, it is a uh, obviously a very theological question because you have to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and 3, where God creates, you know, everything there is and it creates mankind in His image, what we call the Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. That image is distorted when men and women choose to rebel against Him. And because uh, men and women rebelled against Him, they could not pay for their sin because now they're fully sinful and God requires a perfect sacrifice because he's a perfect God. So in light of that, God then has to bring about a plan of salvation. In other words, to redeem mankind from the mistake that they made, right? Yes. So from that, what we see is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what we call the proto-evangelion, the pre-gospel, and uh, let me just kind of get to that and read it to your listeners In that, that way, just so to set context, because I'm pretty sure not everyone is familiar with uh, Genesis 3.15. But there it says this, I will put enmity, uh, animosity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There we see that God will bring a seed. The word offspring there is the word seed, uh, is the word zera in the Hebrew, which is... Throughout the book of Genesis is just unbelievable how profound this word is. The seed of a woman would be the one who would come and bruise the head of the serpent. That the serpent here being Satan, right? Yeah. And this conquering would not just be a conquering of the serpent itself, but also uh, of 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 death. The death that was brought because of the fall. And if you recall, if you can recall and read the previous chapters, you're going to see that God said that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, you will surely die. Die. So either way, coming to this is there's death. So because death came into the world and man was the one that sinned, man would have to be the one that died. But man could not do that because man is not perfect. So God had to, he himself had to come down to earth as one of us, as a man, to die so that we would be redeemed. Now, that death, in other words, had to be someone who was perfectly pure before God, a perfect sacrifice in order for mankind to be fully redeemed back to God. So here is where we get the idea of Christ being the new Adam. In other words, that Christ as a man came to die in the place of man because because men committed sin and therefore... That had to take place. So here, and I'll end with this to, to answer this question. Uh, This is Romans chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because of all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted here. There is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. In other words, what he's saying is throughout, look at all scripture, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Adam to Moses, to all creation, everyone... Has sin. And then verse 15, but the free gift and this, this word here is important, the free gift, because, you know, kind of going back to how you asked the question, why did Jesus have to die? He didn't have to die. He died because he loves us because mm. he wanted to bring us back to him. So this is this is an important word, but the free gift is not like the trespass or the sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And then he's going to talk about judgment and condemnation, all that, and how Jesus took our punishment So at the cross and uh, and he came, lived a perfect, sinless life, but he took that punishment on the cross, removing the wrath of God from us because of our sin.
0: Mm. It always just, when I hear people talk about it, sometimes I just want like this, you know, simple little wrapped up box, but it's, and it is simple. I mean, in the sense of we believe and we're saved, but the purpose Uh behind it is not, doesn't feel that simple.
1: It's, yeah, it's not because God, God is a complex, complex God. And if you look at the, the historical progression of revelation and redemption, there's a lot there. But if I could make a simple, I'll probably say this. Man sinned. men had to die because men could not die because man is not perfect. Another man had to come who is perfect to die for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that we could experience eternity with him instead of separated yeah. from him.
1: Absolutely, and that's where the doctrine of uh, what some people call soteriology comes into, which is a doctrine of salvation, which unpacks all of that.
0: Right, right. Well, I had talked to Dr. Quarles last week about really up until the point of Holy Week where Jesus really starts. He's now teaching parables. We're in the middle of the week. Um, He has been anointed with oil by the woman. He eats his last Passover meal with the disciples. And so there's all this stuff going on before he goes into the garden. Um, mm. What is something that is often overlooked in these verses that significantly adds to our understanding of Jesus as the promised Messiah?
1: Oh, man, there's so much there. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, did you pick up at a certain passage or you just want me to kind of talk about the surrounding
0: Yeah, we didn't, we weren't super specific. I mean, mainly it was talking more about how there is so much. And so often there are just little things that are missed because it's a little bit overwhelming.
1: Absolutely. So I'll give you one a lot of people don't, you know,
0: understand what's surrounding
1: the death and burial of Christ and the importance of that. Obviously, kind of, if you want to get real theological, we can, but I, I, I'm going to keep it simple, you know. In John, in chapter 19 and uh, verse 30, when Jesus is at the cross and he's given sour wine. After that, he says, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That word "telestai" is a really profound word. I think most people are familiar with that. And the idea of tetelestai is basically is like a contract is paid for, it is finished. In other words, that work of redemption that needed to be done because death came finally to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. When he says it is finished, he died. He accomplished that and he took upon himself the wrath of God right there, salvation is fully you know accomplished at the cross now salvation will then fully be accomplished three days later when he resurrects from the dead and he not only conquers death but he conquers the grave right now talking about the grave in that same chapter in chapter 19 of of, of the book of John in verse 38 here's what it says in 39 after these things Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear, of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 70 pounds in weight or 75 pounds. Some, some There's some variations on manuscripts there, but what's happening here? First, you have Joseph of Arimathea. Who is this guy? I mean, first, he's a disciple of Jesus. He's from the town of Arimathea, but he's an influential man. Uh, I believe in the Gospel of Luke, he's mentioned as being a wealthy man. So obviously, he was able to go to Pilate. You know, a lot of people overlook this, but, you know, who would go to Pilate? I mean, Pilate is a pretty significant person.
0: Right. It's Um, not like he's just a man sitting on the side of the road that you get to just go up and ask questions to.
1: exactly uh he actually goes to pilate himself and pilate somehow gives him permission i mean that's pretty significant right there so he comes and takes away jesus body and he goes and buries him right mm-hmm. but he also has he also has the aid of another person this is nicodemus and a lot of people may be may or may not be familiar with nicodemus but nicodemus was a religious man uh, who earlier in the gospels was came to Jesus and asked him, How should a man be saved? And this is John be chapter born three again. Right? Or, or be born again. Yeah. So he's he, you know, he goes to this whole little conversation with Jesus and what we can understand from this is that Nicodemus does become a believer. He becomes a disciple of Jesus. And uh so here uh we have two men, first of all who are influential and they were rich. Now, what you see, for instance, in the Gospel of Luke is that the Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus coming to save the marginalized, the lowly, right? Right. Those who are poor. He's healing and casting out demons, and he's performing wonders, and the poor are coming to him. But what we see is that Jesus also came to save the rich. He came to save all. So here we have two rich men who play a role here, and they are so rich. That they actually bring about seventy-five pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now, this is significant because this amount that is given here, and you know, you, sometimes you have to ask yourself, you know, why? I mean, why doesn't it just say a bunch of <laughs> myrrh and aloes? But it gives you a specific number. It's seventy-five pounds in weight. Uh, what's significant about that is that that is the amount of myrrh and aloes that was actually used for when a king was buried. So, and
0: is that a king? Any king or a king a Roman
1: king, a Jewish king like that would be any king in the Middle East in that area, right okay. there any significant person who had and it was' just not just kings, it was actually people that were like a highly they were really wealthy and of great influence mm-hmm. um, they would be buried with that that amount of there's a, a known amount and I think there's significance in that because what we see is is that Jesus is born as a king. Right. I mean, how do we know that? We know that because Magi come from the east and they crown him as king pretty much. And at that intersection, at Jesus' birth, myrrh is also brought. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to Christmas, that's one of the things that people apparently say the three Magi come. And there's obviously more than three Magi, but that's another tangent. Right. (laughs) <laughs> but uh you know the magi bring myrrh, and you're thinking, What what's that all about? Uh I think there's a connection here from his birth, he is birthed and recognized as a king not by his own. This is people from the East, right? John talks about the fact that in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what that's talking about, that people from the East had to come to recognize him. He is born as a king. Then throughout the Gospels and throughout the narrative of the Gospels, we see that Jesus is also portrayed as a king, right? We see in, in Matthew when Jesus has this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He is pretty much a kingly figure. And uh, not just that, up to the point where at his crucifixion, there's an inscription that says Mm -hmm. he is the king of the Jews, right? Right, And it's in different languages. I mean, very significant. And then here you see at his burial that he is, you know, also buried as a king. And those are things that a lot of people kind of miss.
0: Yes. You know,
1: significance in it.
0: Yeah, I've never paid the least bit of attention to the seventy-five pounds.
1: Mm-hmm. It's there.
0: So, what is the significance of Jesus being anointed by with oil by the woman?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I think you know, I I think it also has to do with his king kingship too. Okay. And, and I, I was think-
0: curious if they were kind of. Related.
1: The anointing of oil was reserved for kings, right? If you go back to the Old Testament, you know, the prime examples of that are Saul and David who are anointed with oil and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them and, you know, they become kings. This woman is doing that. I think there's significance in that. And there's also a preparation for his... Death. His death and his burial. I, I believe that those are two are those two things are connected, uh, and, and in that context, obviously, with that woman anointing him, in in that sense, really is another picture of of God's grace towards us that we're undeserving, and that He would let a woman like that do what she did. Really communicates His compassion, right? It communicates that He He came to save all, mm-hmm. and that preparation. Really is um, is just a demonstration of his love for us that he gave us full access to himself.
0: Mm. Yeah, because he was sitting with all of his disciples when she came in and did that. Did that, right? That's right. Yeah, and in that culture, yeah. women didn't really step into that place and perform acts like that. If that, if my understanding is correct,
1: it's very true. And and what's interesting throughout the Gospels is that you know uh, women have a kind of a pretty prominent place, yes. you know, in a lot of things. For this woman, you have Mary Madeline, you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Martha, and you go on and on and on, and you're thinking, why is that there? Again, I think it just communicates that, you know, Jesus did come to save all, and the salvation wasn't just for Adam as as a male, but it was for Adam as female, you know, mankind, right. and the word Adam means mankind. You know, and uh, so this woman comes in. I don't think, if I recall correctly, I don't think that this woman has a name. Yeah, uh, it just and says so she woman. kind of becomes this. That's right. She kind of becomes this figure of anyone who is a sinner who can come and touch Jesus, and Jesus then, you know, right there by showing his compassion, just says, "Hey, this is what I know that what you can offer me right now." Is um in, in the in the world saying there's not that much. At that time it was, right? The perfume was really expensive. If you do a study on that and all that, but at the end of the day you're thinking, Jesus right here is just being anointed with perfume and and and, and there's this it's, it's it's a gesture that shows you first the importance of that moment. Mm-hmm. And what was about to take place, so uh, kind of like, you know, as we said, the preparation for his burial, for his crucifixion and all of that, but also his his compassion. And it gave us access to him regardless of who, where we're from, right? This woman right. probably was not seen by others as, as being a good woman. But here Jesus says, yes, I will receive you just as you are. Come and, you know, receive my blessings.
0: Well, and I can't help but notice with her, too, somehow she had heard, you know, his teachings out in the synagogues, the temple courts, wherever it may have been. And she believed what he said about himself, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die. I mean, she had to believe that to come That's and right. anoint him, because why would you anoint him if you didn't believe what he said?
1: That's right. And she she is juxtaposed by, with the Pharisees. Yes, at the ta- she, Jesus is at the table having dinner with the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day who apparently had full access to God and no new God, right?
0: Yeah, But, knew him.
1: you know, here's Jesus. Yeah, they're somehow offended that this is happening. They call her a sinner and all of that. But, you know, here you see the contrast between the two. And, and there is something to be said about, you know, just this full surrender mm. to the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, You know, that the Pharisees didn't have, but this woman who in their eyes was a sinner and needed forgiveness as well and whatnot, you know, because Jesus, I mean, she somehow was also seeking forgiveness. And I think that's kind of a picture for us, too, is that, you know, when we come to Jesus, we have to recognize that we are sinners. We Mm -hmm. have to recognize that, you know, that when we're coming before Christ is that he's the only one that can provide us with forgiveness. And the Pharisees didn't do that. Right. They didn't recognize that they had before God was really something that is enormous that they cannot pay, but mm. she did.
0: Yeah, and it's so much like what we were even talking about at church this weekend. Of you can have all of the head knowledge, but if that doesn't translate to a heart knowledge and a heart surrender, it doesn't mean anything.
1: That's right, and you know it's kind of like if you go to. Uh, I think Pastor Andy was talking about, it was kind of alluding to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Mm-hmm. When Paul's talking about love, you know, you can have all of these amazing things, you know, you could know and speak the tongues of men and of angels. But it's a climbing. It's nothing if you don't love, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that, that is profound. But talking about love, love is significant for this reason, is that God really wants us to love him with all that we have. Mm-hmm. Right, Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus comes to, uh, and is confronted by some, some of the Sadducees and the leaders of the day. They ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And mm-hmm. Jesus says, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So there is a holistic idea of us loving God. And it's it's all of it. So I think the flip side of that comment of you can have all the head knowledge. Head knowledge is good, right? Right. Head knowledge of is good so so much so that we're talking about it, right? Right. We're we're opening the word and we're looking at all these different things and and nuances and so forth and so on. It has to be holistic though. It can't just be head. It can't just be heart either, right? right? Because if it's head, then you, you become arrogant. If it's just heart, then you become an emotionalist where it's all about a feeling versus really being rooted in the the word, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a really, really, good perspective because even if it's just all about your strength, you become that person that's really critical, I think, a lot of times of other people.
1: You're right. And not just that. I mean, you really, if it's about your strength, you're not going to seek God's counsel. You're not going to seek (laughs) wisdom from God. You're going to seek your own, right? You're going to try to do things with your arms, you know, (laughs) I mean, we're going to like try to do it. And it's funny you say that because I just made this reference to um, somebody and it's related to this idea of of reliance on God and not ourselves is that I remember uh, at at a point in my ministry career where I was just distraught. I was just tired of ministry and uh, I was just like ready to give up. And and my dad was talking to my My dad at that time, and he said, "Daniel, you got to remember one thing: ministry." And I was, I was tired. I was doing things in my own strength. He said, "Daniel, ministry is not done on your feet; it's done on your knees." Mm -hmm. Basically, Mm -hmm. what he was trying to communicate to me is, Daniel, you need to rely on God for your strength, not your own. You know,
0: so true, and oftentimes easier said than done because we slip back into it, right? (laughs) Back into ourselves. That's right.
1: That's right. That is the uh, never-ending struggle. (laughs) That we have.
0: Lunch. That's why we can go to him every day. Thank the Lord, right?
1: That's right. Amen.
0: So I'm going to read from Matthew 26 and just ask you a question about that. So in Matthew 26, Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. And it says at this point, it's Peter talking. Well, Jesus is talking to Peter. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures mm. be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? What scriptures are G- is Jesus referring to here? And, and what does it mean? Give
1: me the verse real quick.
0: It's Matthew twenty-six fifty-two through 54. Oh,
1: okay, gotcha. I was trying to to figure out where you were. Okay. So um, you're talking about the reference here to uh, these verses and where it comes from the Old Testament? Yes. Um, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Is that the verse that you're looking yes. at? or?
0: Yeah. So it's 52 okay. through 54. Yep. And he says, um, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus here is talking about, like, don't retaliate against the Roman soldiers mm-hmm. coming to get me, because God has said from the beginning that this is what's going to happen. But I'm just curious, as he's talking to Peter, like, what would Peter know that would trigger in his mind, you know, immediately? He he knows what Jesus is talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. I To be honest with you, I have not— uh... Paid attention as to where it comes from the Old Testament, uh, as far as that descri- that that verse goes. Okay, uh, but one of the things that that is happening here is that Peter is basic. So the idea of fulfillment there in in chapter uh, twenty six verse fifty four, when he says, "But how then should the scripture be fulfilled?" Mm-hmm. When it comes to that, I think it really is a holistic picture of the redemption that Jesus was communicating all of this to his disciples all throughout. He was showing them how he came not to do away with the law, but to come and fulfill the law. And that he is fulfillment of that and that the day would come that he would die. And it's kind of funny, right? Because they're thinking, I'm thinking, didn't he tell you he was going to die? Right. Didn't he tell you? that he's going to be buried and then rise on the third day. But here, Peter, I think, shows a a little bit of his character, and it shows up throughout, right? It, It shows up everywhere where he just wants to, again, going back to what we were just saying a moment ago about taking things by our own strength. That's what Peter is trying to do here. He is mm-hmm. trying to uh, take matters into his own hands. So he takes a sword, and, and obviously, in that day, was common for people to carry swords for various reasons. And and Jesus uses this analogy here and in this instance to show him and his disciples there, hey, this needs to happen. Basically, you know, we have there in verse 56 is this, is that all this has to take place or has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So in other words, Jesus is reminding not only uh, Peter, but the other disciples here. And by the way, if you go down uh, just a few verses and in that chapter in 66, Jesus refers to himself as a son of man. And I think here's a reference to the book of Daniel, where Jesus is a son of man who is going to come, and he's going to come with power, and he, the kingdoms of the earth will bow before him. Now, what they were looking for here was a messianic king that was going to take care of all of the government structures of the day. Right, and over. He's,
0: Throw exactly. Roman.
1: Yeah, what they call a Messiah warrior, right? Mm. And uh, the, But Jesus is saying here, hey, what I'm coin- coming to conquer is way more important than what you can see and what's going on right now here on earth. It is universal. It is uh, it is a salvation for all mankind at all times, for all peoples who have faith in me and are redeemed by the blood that I'm about to spill. Mm. You know, and here he makes a reference back to the prophets because, and twice here, by the way, in verse fifty-four and in verse fifty-six, he's talking about fulfillment that scriptures had to be fulfilled, and that's why, again, going back, we have to go back to the Old Testament. A lot of people want to throw out the Old Testament. And think mm-hmm. I'm thinking out of your mind. Old Testament is the the revelation of of christ himself
0: right
1: here you know that we see the fulfillment of what happened in the old Testament. as a matter of fact let me just go to luke here real quick i don't want to get off on too many tangents but in luke right after his resurrection luke is with his disciples at emmaus and in uh chapter 24 let me get to the verse here okay he okay. says in verse 27 and beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here's again a reference back to the Old Testament, Moses being the law, all the prophets here being the what the Jewish people call the Nevi'im, which are the prophets, the section of the the Hebrew Bible called the Nevi'im, and then he's saying, "Hey, all of that, the Torah, I'm going to show you, and then let me also show you the prophets." And let me tell you one cool thing about the prophets and I'll end with it. Most people aren't familiar with the structure of the book of uh, of the book of the Old Testament. There I'm familiar with the Hebrew portion of it. So most of us have our English Bibles that begin with Genesis and end all the way with Malachi. Malachi right. being the last of the 12 prophets, minor prophets. Mm-hmm. But the Jewish Bible actually has three different sections. They have the Torah, which is the, what first, we call Torah. the first five books of the Bible, which in Jewish thought is one book. Then we have the prophets,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which actually starts with Joshua. And then you have the writings, which ends with Chronicles. Okay. okay. What's significant about that is this, just speaking on one of them, just the prophets, because we're talking about prophecy and the prophets here, is this, that the very first book of the prophets is the book of Joshua. That's the first prophetic book. Now here's what's even more interesting, is that the very next section of the book of the prophets is the major prophets, what we call the major prophets and the minor prophets. The first of the major prophets is Isaiah. Okay. First of the minor prophets is Hosea. All three of these men, Joshua, Isaiah, and Hosea, all have the same root for the name of Christ, for the name of Jesus, Yehoshua in Hebrew, which means salvation. It's as if the prophets are screaming out, Salvation is coming. Salvation, mm-hmm. even by the names of these prophetic books, Joshua, Isaiah, Hosea. And if yeah. you do a study on those books of salvation, then you get to the ultimate Yehoshua, the ultimate Joshua, Isaiah, Hosea, and that is Jesus. Who, And that's why, again, going back to, if we go back to the birth narratives of Jesus, you see that the angel specifically gives a name to this Messiah, and his name is Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's something there that really is, again, going back to the Old Testament, pointing to the prophets as Jesus being the ultimate prophet that's going to accomplish salvation.
0: Wow. I can nerd out on that stuff a lot. But... <laughs> I won't I won't make um all the listeners come along for another twenty or thirty <laughs> minutes, right? Maybe next time. Yeah, that's right. Well, Daniel, thanks so much. I know that you have recently started a podcast yourself. And so take a moment to just share with our listeners um what that's called and a little bit about it before we close out.
1: Absolutely. So uh, the desire to do a podcast uh, is twofold. One is it's a selfish one. I wanted to grow.
0: Yeah. And
1: I wanted to just, you know, be able to, to just use something like that for my own benefit so I could grow and kind of revisit some of the doctrines of the faith. The, the podcast itself is called The Preacher's Devo Podcast you can uh, if you find if you want to find it on iTunes or on Spotify just type that the preacher's devotional podcast or devo podcast and you'll see it there the concept for it is basically what I'm doing is I'm going through the Heidelberg catechism there are many different catechisms I just picked the Heidelberg catechism because of its easy to follow structure and it has about 52 lord's days which are sundays and uh, so the podcast is a weekly podcast. It's only 10 minutes each. And basically, what I do is I walk through each of the questions. So, catechism works with questions, right? So, it gives you a question, then gives you an answer, and then following that, the scripture to support it. So, I analyze the question, answer, and scriptures and just offer listeners. Uh, an, an idea as into some thoughts that are first biblically found, but also theological. So uh, it's a fun thing. And uh, I've been doing it. I just started it in January.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Daniel, for your time today.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. And good luck to you with your podcast and have fun.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links and quotes from today's conversation can be found at com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune
1: in next time.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast